Hello, and thanks for joining us on the Christian Celebration Center podcast. Our prayer is that this audio will encourage you in Christ and challenge you from God's word. Enjoy the message. Luke chapter 1, verse 13. It says, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Do not be afraid. We're going to focus in on those four words in this message. Do not be afraid. And if you would be willing to do this, uh, could you turn to someone and tell them, don't be afraid? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Sometimes we need to hear that, don't we? Sometimes other people need to hear that. And in this case, God's getting a message across to a man named Zachariah who we'll get to in just a moment. Do not be afraid. And Lord, I pray faith will rise in this place. May faith rise in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. We're in a two-week series called Faith is Greater Than. Faith is Greater Than. Last week we talked about a number of things that faith is greater than. Hopefully you experience that in your life as you put your faith in God. In the situations that you faith faced, faith is greater than. This week we're focusing on this. Faith is greater than fear. Faith is greater than fear. All of us have some sort of fear. You think about a fear of spiders or snakes or lions and tigers and bears, whatever it might be. Interestingly, none of those fears were fears that you were born with. You weren't born with a fear of spiders or bears. or You weren't. You learned that. Some of our fears are rational. They are learned through life, and by learning certain things, it enables us to be safer, right? We are taught, that's why we have to take care of our kids so much when they're younger. We have to teach them, like, don't jump into the lion's cage. I know it looks cuddly, but it does not. We learn over time. There are fears that we have that are rational, but then there are other fears that for a follower of Christ are irrational. There are certain fears that we learn, that we come in contact with, maybe that we even grab hold of, that are, for a follower of Jesus, someone who is in Christ, are plain and simple, irrational. Now, unfortunately, every single one of us are vulnerable to fear. Everyone. No one in this place has escaped through life without fearing something. We're all vulnerable to fear. And and, and even more uh, tragic is that there are most likely some who are here today who are trapped by it. So what I want to do is I want to begin the message by listing about 15 or 17 different fears And I want you to do an honest inventory in your life, all right? You don't have to raise your hand. Hey, that's me. You don't have to be proud of it. But I do want you to be honest. Can you do that? Just honestly think about this. And you might think, this list is long. I always want to go through a number of fears. It's not an exhaustive list, but just about 15 or 17 different fears. And I just want to ask you, is this a fear that you have in your life? And just be honest. Take some inventory. Do you have a fear of being betrayed? Do you have a fear of sickness? Do you have a fear of getting that disease that seems to run in your family? Do you have a fear of death? Do you have a fear of what others 
think of you. Kayla and I, my daughter, was, um, we were in a coffee shop just recently, a couple weeks ago, and we were drinking our coffee, and uh, people watching and talking, having a good time, and we looked over, and the music is pretty loud in there, and we look over, and there's um, a little girl with her mom, and the little girl's just kind of like, you know, fumbling with the gift cards and the coffee and whatever, she waits in line, and the music is going, and she starts grooving with the music. It was so cute. This cute little girl just starts moving with the music, like doing some of her moves. She doesn't know the song, but she's just getting into it. And Kayla and I look over, and we're smiling. We're like, oh, my goodness, this is so, so cute. And this little girl looks over at us and sees us watching her. We are complete strangers. She sees us watching her and doesn't even care and just keeps on grooving with the music. Where is it along the line where we start to care? Where is it along the line when we start to think, Ooh, what are they going to think of me? Are they going to think that I'm a bad parent? Are uh, they going to look down on me because I do this? Are my coworkers and classmates um, going to think less of me if I really truly live for God? What if I post this? What are people going to say? How are they going to comment? Do you have a fear of what others think? Do you have a fear of the unknown? What's going to happen? How's this going to work out? Am I still going to have my job? What if there's a financial downturn? What is going to happen? What, what, what's going to happen whenever my five-year-old goes to school or my 18-year-old goes to college? The fear of the unknown. Do you fear failure? Not being good enough? Not having enough money? Do you fear losing control? Or losing a loved one? Or losing your salvation? Do you fear letting people down? Commitment? Rejection? Do you fear loneliness? Do you fear change? About 15 or 17 different fears, and likely there are way more that I didn't mention, but let me ask you, just as you internally are honest, did any of those stand out? Were there any of those in an honest moment? You're like, oh, yeah, I kind of do have a fear of that. That does kind of trip me up at times. Fear is so common. Fear is so common. It's so common that hundreds of times in Scripture we are told, do not fear. Be not afraid. One source puts it at 365 times in our scriptures we are told, fear not or do not be afraid. 365 times, does that number ring a bell? It's interesting considering how many days are in a year. Maybe we need one for every year, for every day. Fear not, do not be afraid. Well, our text comes from Luke chapter 1. and uh, In this chapter we catch up with the Israelites who are living in a very dark period of their history. Previously. God had sent kings and prophets and priests to the Israelites in order to point them to God and let them know that the Messiah was coming. But in this moment, as we catch up in Luke chapter 1, we find that the Israelites had gone 400 years without a prophetic word. 400 years. Dark time. The people were shackled with religious do's and don'ts. And they lived under the tyrannical thumb of Herod the Great, who was anything but great. That was their life. It was difficult. It was hard. And during that dark time, God was up to something pretty big. 
We catch up with a man whose name was Zechariah. He was married to a woman named Elizabeth. The Bible tells us they were very old. And, and I'm thinking about this, like if the Bible says you're very old, you are ancient. I, I'm serious, there are some old people in the Bible. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're not just called old, they're called very old. Interesting fact about them is that they had wanted to have children but were never able to. And now they were well, well, well advanced in years. Zechariah was a priest in the land of Judea. Verse number 8 says this, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. And this seems like such a normal day as you just read it. Like, okay, let's keep reading. Seems like a normal day, incense being burned. People are worshiping the Lord. There's a priest inside the temple doing his thing. Seems very normal. But understand, this was big time for Zechariah. Here's why. There were 24 priestly divisions. And each of the divisions were responsible to cover the responsibilities of the temple, to enter into the temple two weeks a year. But because there were so many priests in each of these 24 divisions, even though Zechariah was very old, it's likely this was the first time in his life that he had the chance to go into the temple and lead in prayer to burn incense. It's very likely that this was a moment as an old man that he had been looking forward to since he was a little boy and he was coming from the lineage of the priests. You imagine 60, 70, 80, 90 years, we don't know exactly how many years he had waited for this moment, waited for this moment. Finally, here he is, Luke chapter 1, he's in the temple doing what he had dreamed of doing, what he had been trained to do for decades, and now he actually gets the chance to do it. This was a very, very, very special day for Zechariah, and it quickly moved from being a special day to being an unforgettable day. You'll see this in the next verse, verse 11, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense, and when Zacharias saw him, he was startled. That's an understatement, right? He was startled. And I admit that if an angel of the Lord appeared to me in my room or in my house, I would most likely be startled as well. I get startled sometimes. I, I, just, just a few weeks ago, it was November, it was at night, it was dark, and I was, I was out in the backyard for a few moments, and I, I, was, I was looking up, or I was looking around, I don't even know what I was looking at, but all of a sudden I heard something, I looked up, and there was this huge, I'm thinking it was an owl, wingspan huge, that just flew about 15 feet above my head from the back of the yard, just like, like this. And you're like, Did you, how'd you know it was an owl? It was huge. It was either an owl or a pterodactyl. I don't know uh, which one. But I'll admit, I'd like to say I'm like, oh, cool. I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, <laughs> I moved. My whole body moved. Like, I, I was startled. And when out of the ordinary things happen, we get startled. It is just how it seems to work. Zachariah was more than startled, though. The text says that he was startled and was gripped, gripped with fear. It's the Greek word epipito, and it means to have fear rush upon him, to be seized with it, to press in on him. 
And some of us in this place have experienced that. We've experienced thoughts. We've experienced situations where it seemed like fear was pressing in on us, closing in on us, arresting us in some ways, not just trapping but imprisoning us. And it can happen so, so quickly. The Bible says that the enemy shoots fiery darts at us, and those can be uh, darts of temptation. Uh, Sometimes those are darts of fear. It's a fearful thought. And isn't it crazy how our brain is wired with such creativity that we can then have that fearful thought that's come from the enemy, and then we can begin to paint a canvas all around it. You know what I'm saying? We begin to paint it and it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. You go from the thought, like, is my child going to be okay today? Is she driving? Is she going to be safe? And then there is this massive, huge scenario in vivid high death that you see in your mind. And what is the result? Fear. Beginning with that fiery dart, our imagination taking a... We aren't careful, then who? We have this vivid picture, and we can feel fear coming in on us. Zachariah was startled and gripped with fear. It's no, um, it shouldn't be any surprise. The massive angel shows up. He's seized with fear, and then we see what the angel says to him. The angel says to him, do not be afraid. Interestingly, this is the same phrase and statement, as I mentioned earlier in the message, that we see God saying to people all the time throughout Scripture, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. God told Abraham, fear not. Told Hagar, fear not. Told Jacob, do not be afraid. Told Joshua, do not be afraid. You think even of the the early account of the, of the, uh, the coming of Christ here on this earth, uh, he told Mary, do not be afraid. He, he told Joseph, do not be afraid. He told the shepherds, do not be afraid. He told the disciples when they are in the storm on the boat, do not be afraid. And guess what Jesus told the disciples after the resurrection? Do not be afraid. Over and over and over and over again. And the question comes up to me as I read the text, well, why did the angel of the Lord tell Zechariah to not be afraid. Why did, did he tell all these other people, God, why did God tell all these other people, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, over and over again? And you might say, well, because they're afraid. I'll give you that. It's a good reason. But I believe that there's more. I believe that there is a more profound reason why over and over again we're told to not be afraid and why in this instance Zechariah, who was seized with fear, was told not to be afraid, and it's this. Because God had something that he wanted to tell them. And when you're afraid, you can't hear. When you are seized with fear, you can't hear. Think about a small child who is really, really, really scared. And you come in and you got all this truth, all this wisdom that you want to share with them. And they are screaming, right? And you pick them up. They are so scared. They're screaming in your ear. All they see and hear from you is just this. You're like, I love you. You don't have anything to worry about. There's no one behind that closet door. There's really nothing to worry about. I will take care of you. You're saying all these things, and that's, that's not what they're hearing. They're just seeing your mouth move because they are screaming their heads off. 
when you're seized with fear, you can't hear. And over and over and over again in Scripture, if you look back in these passages, you'll see that time and time again, God would say, do not fear, do not be afraid, because right after that, there was something that he was trying to get across to them. He needed to get them calmed down. He needs to get us calmed down, because he wanted to share truth. The very thing that these people needed to hear, they couldn't hear if they were afraid. And God says, do not be afraid, because there was something that he wanted them to hear, something that they had to hear. To Zechariah, the angel of the Lord, bringing the message from God, said, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth is going to have a son. You're to call him John. He's going to go on before the Lord, and he's going to prepare the way in the spirit of Elijah. To Mary, Mary, do not be afraid. You are highly favored. For you will conceive and be with child, and the child will be from the Holy Spirit, and his name will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. To Joseph, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child to be born with her, born to her, is of the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid to take her as your wife, because you're going to name him Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. Think about the shepherds. Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy, right? That will be to all the people. And you need to go to Bethlehem, and you need to check this out, and you're going to find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. You see, over and over again, God said, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, because there's something that he wanted them to hear. Fear causes you to miss out on what God wants you to hear, what God wants you to see, and what God wants you to experience. Fear causes you to miss out. And that's the problem with fear. That's the problem with fear. Is that it causes us to miss out on what God's doing. It causes us to miss out on what God is wanting to hear, wanting us to hear what he's wanting us to say, what he's wanting us to experience. Fear paralyzes us. It sidelines us. And the crazy thing about fear is that you can look across a room like this. You could look at each other. You can even be friends with someone and not see it in their face. Not see what's really driving them, what's really trapping them. Fear often is invisible, right, to the people that are around you. But we know if it's pressing in. We know what it feels like. We know what it keeps us from. And what I want you to know is that fear causes you to miss out. To miss out on the adventure that he wants you to live. To miss out on stepping out in courage. Missing out on friendships and relationships. Missing out on hearing from him. Missing out on what he wants to give you so that you have something that you've heard from him, that you see from him, that you experience from him. That's the problem with fear. But I want you to know today that fear and walking in fear is a choice. Walking in fear is a choice. You can either be subject to it or it can be subject to you. You can either give place in the room of your mind for it or you can evict it. Now, I'm not suggesting at all that you could just do this in your own power, no big deal, it's taken care of. You need help. I need help. Jesus came to deliver captives, Jesus came to set people free. 
Winning over fear is a spiritual battle. Thank God Jesus came and already won the battle. He already won the battle. He defeated everything that would ever come against us. Jesus won. And the question for us today is this, do you want to be free of fear? Do you want to walk in freedom from fear? Do you want to replace irrational thoughts with rational ones? Do you want to replace the lies with truth? I want to give just a few basics here uh, as we continue to have the underlying understanding that this is all through work of the Spirit. We need God's Spirit to flow through us. We need His grace to do the very things I'm getting ready to share with you so that we can walk in freedom from fear. The first one is this, verbalize the fear. Verbalize the fear. When you uh, share out loud, when you speak out loud what that fear really is that you are dealing with, it begins to diffuse the power of it just by you speaking it out loud. Even better is sharing it with a trusted friend or leader in your life. There's something powerful about just speaking it out loud. Because sometimes when we speak it out loud, we speak it to a friend, it then comes out and it's like that big. But inside here, how big is it? Sometimes it's massive. Verbalize the fear. Secondly, analyze the fear. Analyze the fear. What am I talking about? I'm talking about trying to get to the root of the fear. Because sometimes there are surface fears, but really they're stemming from a root of fear. The big problem, the big issue. I read once of a little boy who uh, suddenly and surprisingly to his parents uh, stopped eating sweets, offered a candy bar, wouldn't eat it, offered ice cream, wouldn't eat it, wouldn't touch it. Parents were intrigued by this, like, well, what is going on? This is not like our little one to, to, to turn away candy and sweets. He started one day, the boy did, to eat a banana, and the dad just trying to help the situation says, hey, just so you know, bananas have sugar. You know, bananas have some sugar too. And he went and threw the banana in the trash. The little boy just refused to eat anything with sugar. The parents began to pray and ask the Lord for discernment, like to help, to help him. Like there's some fear there. He seemed very afraid, even at tears at times. And so they, they began to pray and get discernment, and they, then they began to ask questions, and they tried to draw out of their little one, um, like why he was afraid to eat sweets. Like what were the problems with sweets? And, and after a few days, they were able to finally get out of him that, that he thought if he ate sweets that he would get a cavity. But then as they tried to explain that away, like, hey, you're not going to get a cavity. Look, I'm eating a candy bar. I don't have a cavity. Trying to do all the things that parents do to try to, to, try to uh, trick their kids or to try, to try to help their kids understand something. And he still wasn't, wasn't getting it. He was still struggling with this. And so they still continued to pray, and then they continued to have conversation. They kept drilling down deeper and deeper until it came out one day in tears, this little boy shared that he, he thought that if he got a cavity, he would die. And so the root of that fear was what? Fear of death. The, the root of the fear wasn't a candy bar or a cavity or going to the dentist. The root of the fear for this little boy was he was afraid of dying. And that's why I say analyze the fear. Because most likely, that surface fear, yeah, yeah, I checked that one, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a deeper underlying issue. There's a root of that fear. When you determine what that root of the fear is, what that fear root is, the next step is to renounce it in Jesus' name. 
to renounce it in Jesus' name. There is a prayer that I came across in the book, uh, Bondage Breaker. I want to pray it right now, and we're going to put it up on the screen. And uh, this might be something you might want to take a picture of. You probably can't write it all down right now, but uh, take a picture of it or email me later this week, and I can email it to you. But, but it is something that, that uh, we have to understand. Don't mess around with fear. Fear sidelines you. Fear paralyzes you. The enemy wants you to walk in fear. No, God wants us to walk in faith because faith is greater than fear. Let me just pray this. In the name and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command Satan and all evil spirits to release their hold on me. In order that I can I be free to know and choose to do the will of God. As a child of God who is seated with Christ in the heavenly places, I declare that every enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ that is in my presence be bound. God has not given me a spirit of fear, therefore I reject any and all condemning, accusing, blasphemous, and deceiving spirits of fear. Satan and his demons cannot in any way prevent God's will from being done in my life today because I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we got to renounce things that aren't of the Lord. got to renounce it. We don't mess around with it. We don't give it a room in our mind. No, it's keeping us from hearing, seeing, and experiencing what God wants us to hear, see, and experience. We renounce it in the name of Jesus. And when you renounce something, what you're doing is you are rejecting it, right? You're letting it go. Maybe there has been a fear that you've been holding on to so much that it has become part of your identity and you've even to begin to say things about yourself out loud even to other people. I'm a failure. I am a germaphobe. I am going to be alone. I am, I am, I am. What happens when we renounce things that aren't of the Lord, things that come against the knowledge and purity of Christ, is that we are rejecting it, we are releasing it. And when you release something... You then have empty hands to where you can then receive something. And so the next step here is to claim. To claim what God has given you so that you can win over fear. Claim what God has already offered to you, what he's already put on the platter and say, here you go, it's follower of Christ. Here you go, when the spirit of God comes in you, here's what you have. Claim that. Claim what God has given you to win over fear. So what has God given you in Christ? Well, first of all, he's given you power, love, and a sound mind. 2 Timothy chapter 1. God has not given us a spirit of fear. And so if you're dealing with fear, maybe you've been trapped by fear, understand that fear did not come from God. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Of power. It, this speaks of explosive strength that a believer has when the Holy Spirit is in them. Of love. This is not just any type of, of friendly love or, or romantic love. This is the unconditional agape love spoken about in this passage. Unconditional love for people and for yourself. And of a sound mind. A, a mind that has been delivered and rescued and freed from absurd thinking and irrational thoughts. That's what God has given to us when the Holy Spirit comes in us. We have the Spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind living inside of us. That's what God has given to us. Claim that. God has given us as well a new identity. He's given us a new identity. If we would grab hold of this, come on, game over. You're walking in victory. You're walking in victory. 
The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive, the Holy Spirit you receive, the spirit of Jesus brought about your adoption to sonship. I love being a parent. I don't love family pictures because my boys are taller than me. And I'm always trying to get up on my tippy toes just so that I look a little bit taller and they push me back down. Don't really like getting family pictures, but something I do like is being in that moment when I've got my arms around my boys and my girl. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Now, would I get out in front of them to protect them from... Anything, you better believe it. Come on. Men, you know what I'm talking about. Women, you know what I'm talking about. When we place our faith in Christ, God's like this. God of the universe is like this with you. You're adopted into his family. You take on his likeness. You represent him. You carry his name and his authority. He's like this. What's going to get to you? Adoption to sonship. You see, when we come to Christ, we are given a new identity. We're not given the Holy Spirit so that we can be slaves again to fear. No, 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 no. That's done. We've been given the Spirit of God that brings us into sonship, adopted into the family of God. He's given us power, love, a sound mind, identity that's new in him, in Christ. And he's also given us freedom. Freedom. Uh, some counselors and psychologists would say that the greatest fear that people have is the fear of death. Historically speaking, socially speaking, it is uh, the greatest fear that people have. And look, look what the scripture says. Since the children have flesh and blood, that's us. We have flesh and blood. Since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus too shared in our humanity. So that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you are still walking in fear of death, you don't have to. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who comes to me will live even though he dies. He's the way and the truth and the life. They said, well, how can we get to where you're going? And Jesus said, look, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would tell you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And I will come for you so that you can be with me. Jesus conquered death. He conquered the fear of death. When he went to the cross, conquered the enemy. He broke the enemy in two. He broke the enemy's back in two. When he went to the cross and he rose again on the third day. And those who are held in slavery to the fear of death, Jesus says, nope, set free. You don't even have to fear death. Because Jesus has already conquered it. That's what God has given you. Claim what God has given you to win over fear. Next, believe what God has said. 
And this ties so much into claiming what God has given to you. But, but just specifically, let me just share this. Believe what God has said. A great prescription for the case of fears is God's love. And I believe that's one of the foundational challenges that believers in Christ, those who are wanting to be a follower of Christ have, is not fully believing that God fully loves you. If you boil it down. And over and over again, we're told in Scripture, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. If we would get that, that we are loved by God, truly loved by God, would it matter as much what people think? If we truly, truly, truly knew that we are loved unconditionally by God, would it truly matter if, 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 if the enemy says we're insignificant or irrelevant? If the enemy says we're a failure, if the enemy says this, says that, you're not good enough, you don't have what it takes, if we truly, truly, truly believe that God loves us as he does, why would those darts even affect us if we truly believe? Romans 8, oh my goodness, it shares so much about this. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? If God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, will he not graciously give us all things? For I am convinced neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come can separate me from the love of Christ. The Apostle Paul was convinced of it. Are you? Believe what God has said. A great prescription for the case of the fears is God's love. Secondly, it's God's word. It's God's word. Believing what God has promised. If we truly, truly, truly believed what God had promised with his presence, with his grace, would we even deal with fear? There's an acronym that maybe you've seen and uh, I'll, I'll put it up here, and, and I add just a little bit, change it a little bit, but uh, what are fears? Fears are false evidence appearing really scary. False, it's false evidence appearing really scary. We've all had false evidence appear really scary in our lives at different times, and then we paint the pictures and make it even worse, and then we become, over time, trapped by it. And God wants us to be set free. I've been praying uh, uh, yesterday and today for an illustration to kind of try to just put a picture in our mind of this. Couldn't think of anything. And then this morning, early, I, I parked my car in the parking lot and I was walking um, into the church building. And as soon as I got out of my car, uh, this huge barking sounded. And it, it was like, it sounded like a huge dog. A huge dog. Rah, rah, rah. An angry dog. It sounded like he woke up on the wrong side of his dog bed and he was so angry angry at me and he was barking 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 doing do, I didn't do anything to him but he's barking he's just loud 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 I'm sure he woke up neighbors this dog is mad at me but as I'm walking from the back of the parking lot to the to the church building I had zero fear now it's one of those dogs like if I was right by it and it's right there it sounded huge a huge bark, probably had a huge bite, I might be a little like, okay, you know, let's figure out how to get out of this. But in that moment this morning, I wasn't scared at all. Why? Because I looked over and there's a six-foot privacy fence. I couldn't even see the dog. And there's no way that dog could get to me. Now, think about what the scripture says that we have, that we've been given. It's something called the shield of faith. The shield of faith. The shield of faith. It's talking about believing the word of God, believing the promises of God. 
that shields us from the fiery darts of the enemy. Interesting thought. The more you know and believe of God's promises and God's word, the bigger your shield is. Unfortunately, some people are walking around with a shield about this size. You know, they believe a little bit of the word, maybe know a little bit of the word, and, you know, enemies shooting fiery darts at them, and they're, this is all they got. That's all they got. Just, can you, how hard? You're going to miss some, right? If you're in war, you're going to miss some with this little bitty shield. I don't want to go into war with one of these. I want my shield to be bigger than me. I want to go into a war, and I've got one of those shields, you see it in the movies, where it's like you're just hiding behind it. I mean, you're like grilling food behind it. It's so big. You're not worried at all. Because the fiery darts of the enemy can't even hit it. The enemy's bark so loud. It's so loud. It is, it is um, sounding angry, and it seems so blasphemous and deceptive, and it seems so scary, and sometimes it even seems real. But it's false evidence. And as a follower of Christ, you hold up that shield of faith, it's like that six-foot privacy fence. Like, I can't even, what enemy? Believe what God has said. The more you believe the word, the more you're in the word, the more you know the word, the more you're memorizing the word, the bigger your shield of faith is. Believe what God has said, which enables you to win over fear. And then the last one is just this. Get ready for what God wants to do. Get ready for what God wants to do. Because in these instances, over and over and over again, when the Lord came to someone and said, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. He had something that he didn't want them to miss out on. And there were great days ahead. In fact, greater days ahead than they had ever experienced before. Think about Zechariah. God sends a message to him and says, Zechariah, get ready. Your wife's going to get pregnant. Remember, he was very, very old. His wife was very, very old. And yet, here they are, ancient. And they were getting ready to get pregnant and have a baby. The prayer that they have been praying their entire married lives. Boom. Now they're going to get pregnant. Now they're going to they're they're be parents. And not only parents of a kid, parents of John the Baptist who went and prepared the way of the Lord, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. The forerunner to Jesus. Oh, Zechariah had greater days ahead, didn't he? Think about Mary. Come on. Mary, don't be afraid. You've got some great days ahead. Let's get past this fear because you've got some great days ahead. I mean, she bore the Christ child. She gets to be the earthly mother of Jesus. Come on. Think about Joseph. Joseph, don't be afraid. Well, you've got great days ahead. There, there are things that are going to happen that, that you can't even imagine right now. You're going to see things you can't even imagine. You get to be the earthly um, father to Jesus, no pressure. You, you, get to, you get to help raise him in his early years. Provide for him in his early years. Come on, Joseph, you thought your, your life was good before. you got greater days ahead. Let's get over this fear. Think even of the shepherds. 
God's like, don't be afraid. Bring you good news. I mean, they were just doing what they did every night. Again, 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 third shift, again, again, watching the sheep at night. And then the angel shows up, message from God, hey, you got greater days ahead because we're going to let you be some of the very first people in the history of the world that are going to get to see Jesus in the flesh. You get to go see him. Greater days are ahead. Don't let fear cause you to miss out on what God wants to say, what he wants you to hear, and what he wants you to experience. Don't let fear miss out. Don't let fear cause you to miss out. May your faith be greater than your fear. May your faith in God be greater than any fiery dart of the enemy that we're not going to give place to. We're going to renounce that. We're going to claim what God has given us, and we're going to walk by faith. Did you know that the first time fear is mentioned and seen in the Bible is right after a sin had been committed? First time. Adam and Eve, after they sinned, they went against God's commands. They had it perfect. They had it perfect. Relationship with the Lord in the garden. And then they sinned. And right after that is the first time we see fear ushered into human existence. They sinned. Suddenly they were afraid. Fear is a result of sin. That's why fear is in the world. That's why sickness is in the world. That's why uh, these other things that sin has caused is in the world because of sin. And from the very beginning, even before the beginning of time, God had the plan, right? To send Jesus. Send Jesus Christ Son of God, to be the Savior of the world, the one who could rescue us from our sin, rescue us from our fear. Thank you for listening. You know, we believe God has something amazing in store for you today. And now is the perfect time to take a few moments